I want to take a moment as we get started and celebrate and give thanks for uh, the way that God has been working in our midst. Uh, our church has grown uh, in one year's time by 25%. And so, uh, yeah, I'm excited about Actually, uh, last week, this would be a huge surprise to you, but last week, the 930 service was the biggest service that we've ever had uh, at Providence Church. And that means over 900 people uh, were in the house. We had over 350 kids last Sunday. Last Sunday night at Providence students, we had 175 middle school and high school students who were uh, here. We have dozens and dozens of people who are signing up to commit their lives to Christ and to be baptized. And I say thank you because that requires literally hundreds of you to make that happen. Uh, from greeters and hospitality and all these kids workers and dozens of adults on Sunday nights for the students, uh, the guys out in the parking lot. It turns out the parking lot is not as holy a place as the worship, <laughs> worship center. And uh, that's, that's fine. Um, and we appreciate just how um, our heart here at Providence is to see people who feel disconnected from God and the church find hope, healing, and wholeness in Jesus Christ. And we will do anything at all costs to see that happen. And so I thank you for joining us in that vision. And so we're at a moment as a church where we got to figure it out again uh, because all of our rooms are filled and there are lots of big trucks parking on grass uh, out there, which is allowed. Big truck, guys. We appreciate you. Just, just find, find a spot. It's fine. We just put a lot of money into making the grass look that good. <laughs> but it's fine. It's really fine. No, it seriously is fine. Just park wherever you need to park. But before we figure it out, we, I don't have anything for you today. We haven't figured I'm just pausing with you to say thank you, God. Uh, three years ago, we had half the chairs that are in this room and less than 100 people coming to every service. And God is working a movement, not just here, it's what I want you to hear, in our land at a time where Christianity is shrinking where churches are closing up, there is a movement of God that's happening. It's a remnant of, that is being pulled up. And we prayed, some of you know, we prayed all throughout the pandemic, God, could we be a part of what you're going to do on the other side? And we're seeing it with our own eyes, so let's give thanks. God, we pause in the assembly to thank you, our holy God, who gets to do whatever you want to do, God. But we've asked you for things to be a part of a movement of God for healings, for salvation, for the restoration of marriages and, and, and for the lifting up of young people. And we're seeing it and we thank you. We pray you'll help us figure it out again, um, but we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We pick up today in Daniel chapter three. The first verse says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So last week we looked at Daniel chapter two where this same king has a dream about a statue, a really tall statue. And the statue represents him and his kingdom and the kingdoms that will come. And in the dream, the statue is demolished, crushed, obliterated. And so the next thing that the king does is builds a statue. This is supposed to make the reader say, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? What are you thinking? 
But that's what he does, a 90-foot statue. I had uh, Randy, our facilities manager, measure to the top of our cross out here on the front. It's 45 feet out on the front of the church, you know. So this statue that Nebuchadnezzar built, so you can picture it when you walked out, was twice the height of our building on the very front. And here's what he said. He sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officers to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. <laughs> now that list is supposed to make us feel, wow, that's a lot of people. It's supposed to make us feel that sounds like everybody. He's trying to list everybody, but not just everybody, everybody important. And so he's calling upon everybody important to come see the statue. Verse three says, so all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. And then he says, when you hear the sound of the horn, there's all these lists, okay? The horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so you're so, we read it and you're supposed to be thinking, this king has serious issues. But before we totally laugh it off, the story is meant to show us that it's very easy for nations to erect statues and images that people will come before. And because of the power of the nation and the pressures of the culture, before they know it, they are worshiping something that a human made like it is a God. And that still happens today. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All the important people came and all the important people bowed down. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. We'll look at what that means. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. And when they hear the sound of the deep breath, horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But, they say, there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. So they come and remind the king, almost like a resolution. They say, whereas you built the big statue and said everybody has to bow down, and whereas you said if people don't do it, they get to be thrown in the fire, let it be resolved that these three dudes have to be killed. Okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are these three Jewish boys who were living in Jerusalem, having their Jewish life when the kingdom of Babylon besieged Jerusalem, pulled them out as refugees and then exiles in a new land, but they were smart and they were capable and they became lifted up into a high place in Babylon. They were given new Babylonian names. They were trained in the ways of Babylon. They wear the Babylonian clothes. They speak the language and they work for the king, but they did not go to the statue party. Or if they did, they didn't bow down. And this is a problem for Babylon, that these three Jews didn't worship the statue. Verse 13 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? He says, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. And I'm so glad they didn't list them all again. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And we are gonna spend our morning, just a few minutes, giving special attention to the response that those three guys gave the king. In fact, we're gonna look at it as if our lives depend on it. Here's their response to the king. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. The next part of the scripture, if you're reading along in your Bible, in most Bibles, is entitled the blazing furnace. You get what I'm saying? The blazing furnace. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19, was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. This is an important verse. Last week, we looked in Daniel chapter two at the dream about the statue. And we noticed that the word for statue in the dream is an old Aramaic word, teselem, that means image. So it doesn't necessarily just mean like a, a physical statue. It's any time that something else is representing something else by the way it looks and by the way that it is, the image. And it made us think of a time in Genesis chapter one, where we look at a word image over and over again throughout the year. If you come to church here, we'll look at it four five times a year. There it says that we, human beings, are created in the image of God. It's the same word, to sell them. And so we talked about how important it is to be image bearers of God and that everybody here, no matter who you are or what you've been through, you bear the image of God. Now in Daniel chapter three, the statue that the king builds is a tesselum. It's another image. He's built some image that's supposed to represent something, the power of the nation. But here in verse 19, what we see is that the face of the king, using the same word image, distorts in the presence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know exactly what that means, but, but it seems to me to say the one who built the 90-foot image in the face of these three boys can't even control his own face. This guy who by building a statue said, I've got all the control, I've got all the power, everything is under me. What these three guys are doing is really messing with him. He can't even control his image in their image. Uh, he's ticked, that's, that's what I'm trying to say, okay? He's ticked. So then it says, then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're not even fighting back, but he gets the strongest soldiers to bind them and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. This description is given just to say this is happening fast. It's an urgent moment, and they are dressed like the Babylonians dress. And verse 22 says, and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in to the furnace. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, listen closely, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. We threw in three. And what comes next is one of the best lines in the Bible from, as you can tell, one of the best stories in the whole Bible. The king says, I see four. I see four. He says, look. He's shouting, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. And then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair of their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. So everybody who had worshipped the statue had hung around and were watching these three men be thrown into the furnace, but the fire didn't touch them and their clothes didn't stink. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is not a cute kid story. I mean, it is, but there's, there's really something else that's, being, that's happening here. It's actually about what no one likes to talk about. It's what you're not supposed to talk about with your family, you know, at Thanksgiving. It's what you can guarantee if you talk about it at work, someone's going to be upset. It's on my top 10 list of why I get emails when people aren't happy with me when I talk about it. What is this story about? You ready? Politics and religion. You're welcome. (laughs) But just so we can all take a deep breath. This story is not interested in Republican, Democrat kind of conversation. It's not what it's about. It's not about partisan politics as we would think of it now in America. What I think this story is about, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is asking the question, when a nation goes down a path that sets up idols that must be worshipped, what are the people of God going to do? When a land, a culture goes in a direction where there are now things that have to be worshipped that aren't God, what are the faithful ones going to do? So with open hearts, can we take a look at that question this morning together? The first thing that it teaches us is this. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend yourself. I mean, you wouldn't expect that to be, right? Like, I would, I would expect it to be, learn how to make every defense for your beliefs and every defense for your actions. Learn, it wouldn't, like, if I didn't read the Bible, that's what I would think in this moment. Okay, let's figure out how we're gonna say we're gonna defend ourselves. But instead, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make no defense for their actions. I actually wrote in my notes, are you sure, Jacob? You know, and and I, I looked, it, this is what they say. They say almost in unison, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Why? Why no need to defend? Well, they tell us. They say, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. And the next verse says, because if we're thrown into the blazing fire, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Why do they offer no personal defense? 
because they have a defender. They're not on defense in this situation. God is their defender. They are faithful, they are devoted, and they let God defend their honor, God defend their livelihood, God defend their reputation, and God defend their lives. Most of us, though, we try the other alternative. The alternative is I'm going to defend and justify everything I do. We're actually being trained to do that right now. I'm going to defend and justify everything that we do. And that leads to um, angry, combative people shouting, answering every post, dealing with every little thing. And that for followers of God is exhausting and unproductive. When Martin Luther King Jr. was thrown into jail in Birmingham for a nonviolent walk that he staged against segregation, he wrote a letter, so he's in jail, and he wrote a letter to the Christian pastors of Birmingham, the pastors in town. And in it, he references one Old Testament story to give precedent to why he was not forming an army of people to fight the government and why he was not uh, rousing up a violent protest. Anyone want to guess what the Old Testament scripture he referenced was? From the jail cell of a 20th century prison, a modern-day Daniel writes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Dr. King said, there is nothing new about what I am doing. And what I hope to teach over the next few weeks, we hope to teach here, is that there's nothing new about what Daniel is saying here. But it could be a key for how we could live in this time. We talked last week about a resistance that Christians must have or that we feel, but the nature of the resistance is important, guys. That's what I want you to, the way that we resist is important. The nature of Christian resistance is polite and peaceful. Sounds really countercultural. It is. It's the way of Christ. And, and we think, oh, man, are you sure? That doesn't, that doesn't sound the way I feel. Well, well, hear me. The resistance is peaceful, but our conviction is fierce. Our conviction is fierce, and the way that we express that, there's a reason for it we'll get to. But first this, the way that we have to encounter uh, culture right now is with a faithfulness that is not based on circumstances. If you look closely at most people's faithfulness in things, it's circumstantial. It's based on the circumstances. Uh, For instance, I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. Amen? Okay. That didn't go well. Um, (laughs) um, I love the Atlanta Braves crazy about the Braves. But when they lose, I am the worst sport ever, you know? Like, I'll, I'll say, like, uh, Rachel will be like, oh, how'd the game go uh, tonight? And I'll, be, I'll say, I hate baseball. I hate the Braves, you know? And what, what I'm saying is there's so much about the circumstances that affect my, my faithfulness uh, to that team. Well, the nature of a bandwagon fan is an example of how faithfulness could be based on circumstances. That is not what is required in this present age. The world that we're in requires a faithfulness not based on circumstances because circumstances get crazy for everybody. Uh, We have families in our church right now, some of the most faithful families that I know who are going through the fire, who are battling cancer. I mentioned this young man who grew up in our church. He's 21 years old. His name is Shane. Pray for him. He, He had a terrible motorcycle accident at Vanderbilt. And I'm seeing his family and their faithfulness And what we see in them is a faithfulness that's not based on circumstances. Faithfulness that we would call no matter what faithfulness. Or what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would call even if he doesn't faithfulness. (laughs) 
That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say. But even if he doesn't, let me read you the scripture. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. There is a difference in being committed to God and being committed to God if things go well for you, right? Or if God gives you good things. That's called faithfulness as long as things go well, right? But guys, the only way to learn the faithfulness no matter what, the only way to learn even if he doesn't faithfulness is to be tested by the fire. And some of you, some of us are going through a season right now where we're being tested by the fire. And the Bible tells us that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Everybody wants hope, right? Everybody wants character, but that is gained and trained and grown in us through the hard things that we go through. So what do God's people do when our culture sets up idols? Well, we don't have to defend ourselves. We live devoted, different, disciplined lives, faithful no matter what. And this last part is simple. I'll close with this. is that we don't participate in idolatry. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we will never worship the idol you set up. They just said, we'll wear, the, we'll wear the clothes, we'll speak the language, we'll go to work every day, we'll serve the king, but we're not bowing down to a gold statue. We're not gonna do it. And that, guys, is the starkest conflict. You know, I said, uh, when you say don't defend yourself, sounds so non-confrontational, it's actually the, 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 the most stark confrontation you could have right now, an intense resistance where you say, I won't defend myself and I won't participate. I won't do it. It was just about the only thing that could ruffle the feathers of Nebuchadnezzar because if it was about being loud, everything was loud. All the instruments, all the bowing down, all the worship, everybody was participating. But the thing that changed his face was the faithfulness of these three polite, peaceful men. It was so different. All right, the best line of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I told you though, is I see four. The king, it turns out all the people were having a furnace watching party and the king looks in, he says, I see four. Didn't we throw three in? Yes, your majesty, we threw three in. He says, I see four. And he calls those boys out and they're not singed and they're not smelly. And most people who study the scripture here believe that this was a moment where Jesus showed up in the fire. The big theological word for it is called theophany. It's the appearance of God. The appearance of God in a place that you wouldn't even think God would exist. But the word of God, who was Jesus in the beginning and who became flesh, was also and is also there in those moments of fire. Just like Jesus showed up in the jail cell for Martin in Birmingham, just like he's showing up to Amy and Diane and Joshua and Shane and these people in our church who are fighting hard things, just like he will show up to the people at the Glass Creek Apartments. I mean, it's not lost on me that God has given us this scripture in a week when fire has ravaged our nation and fire has ravaged our community and God is showing up in the fire. Will God spare you from the furnace? That's the question we ask, right? Will God spare me from the furnace? Well, I need to tell you, on the authority of God's word, beloved brothers and sisters, our story is not that we will be spared from every 
furnace, it is that Jesus will be with us in the furnace. It's that Jesus goes with us into the fire. And when people look at us, when we're suffering, when we're going through a difficult thing, or just when we are pushing back against the powers of evil and darkness in the world, when they see us, they will see four. They'll start looking at this church, the remnant, the movement that God has been lifting up and they will see Jesus with us. And I know guys, I know that some of you right now are in the furnace and you are like, I'm getting hot, I'm getting burned. And so the power of this story is the belief to have spiritual eyes, to be able to see Jesus in the midst of it. To not say, God, I worship you if everything goes well for me. It's to say, I have a defender who I believe can rescue me from this. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I will not bow down to your idol. It's a different kind, it's a unique, it's a a peculiar thing that God is growing up in us in this time. So let me just pray over us, especially those who may feel they're in a furnace and then we'll come to communion. Oh God, as we feel so often that we're going through the fire, And as we question, as we hurt, as we grieve, as we wonder, why did you not spare us from that? Help us to hear the power of this story that no matter where we go, Jesus is with us. And that as people look at us in the midst of this, they will see him and that our lives can be a witness as you produce perseverance and character and hope in us. I pray for those who are hurting this morning, God, that they could just uh, feel an assurance of your presence with them. They could feel a confidence like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego that no matter where they go, you're going with them. And ultimately, God, you are going to save us and rescue us. As we come to this beautiful meal now, uh, just simple bread and juice, let it be for us a way of encountering Christ, the one who did not defend himself, but went to the cross and made the ultimate victory so that we could have life today. It's in in Jesus' name we pray, amen.